Welcome to The Spin. Today we've got Dr. Mark Blair joining us as we start the first of our series, having a look at the effect of COVID-19 on the different industries in South Africa. My name is Conrad and I'm joined today by MJ. So Dr. Blair, how are you finding the lockdown so far? Well, it's been quite an interesting experience in lots of ways. I certainly haven't spent this much time with my family in a very long time. I am fortunate that I can get out uh, from time to time to go see some patients. So, um, I mean, apart from all these public holidays, I've been going to the practice virtually every day. Um, It's been pretty quiet at the practice because initially there was this great amount of fear generated by the media and and, uh, people saying in the media, don't go and see your doctor. So a lot Mm. of people haven't gone to see their doctor. And in terms of COVID cases, I've only had one so far. Um, And in the practice that I work in amongst the nine doctors, we've had um, about five cases. All right, so so not a very high incidence of cases. Before we start with the questions, I just thought I'd give our listeners a bit of a background. So there's three uh, patient-facing healthcare companies that are listed on the JSE, Life Group, MediClinic, and NetCare. And all three of them have had a huge drop in share price over the last year, um, although with net cares coming before the COVID-19 crisis um, and largely related to their venture into the UK market, which wasn't particularly um, successful. So, Dr. Blake, I think MJ has a question here about the lasting effects of, of the pandemic. So, MJ, do you want to start with that question? Yeah, sure. It's quite a quite a hefty question to start off with. But okay. Dr. Blair, what do you think the lasting effects of this pandemic will be for the healthcare system in SA? So both the private healthcare system and then I think also the public healthcare system. Okay. So I think it depends how the whole thing unfolds. Um, mm. As you know, currently we have um, compared the number of patients that are in fact infected with the disease, which is actually quite low anyway but um, if you look at the ones that have been hospitalized and the ones that have actually done badly we've actually got quite a low death rate as well so that's Mm -hmm. a positive Um, there's been a tremendous sense of anticipation um, in the private sector um, and particularly around our ability to um, anticipate how this disease is going to um, unroll in the country and also um, the extent to which we we prepared for it. Um, interesting point you make about the fact that the healthcare companies, particularly the um, the three big hospital groups, being under a lot of pressure. No question about it. This has been very tough trading times. Um, there's a lot less money around than there was before. There's a lot of uh, um, concern around uh, the viability of private healthcare because the thing that looms largest for us is NHI. Now, if there's one thing that this COVID epidemic is going to, or pandemic is going to precipitate, it's a dependency on national health. And if Mm. anything's going to promote the national health convergence with private healthcare, this particular pandemic will do that. And I think it's going to change healthcare forever on that basis. What it looks like five years from now is very hard to say. Again, it depends how the whole thing rolls out. The honest truth is it's not equitable to actually have healthcare in this country where 
9 million South Africans who got great health care and the rest of the South Africans who got poor health care with limited access to it, apart from primary health care, which I think still delivered relatively well by the government sector. Okay, that's an interesting, interesting point you raise. And just building on this, you, you say that the, you're seeing a decrease in patient numbers, so that we actually have a question exactly focusing on that. So would you say that hospitals and clinics are experiencing decreases in non-COVID-19 relation patient numbers? And if so, can you expand on why you think this is and when you see the numbers returning to their pre-COVID levels? Okay, so, I mean, certainly there's been a spectacular decrease in number of patients since the start of the pandemic. And the main reason for that is because it was declared that um, so-called elective surgery should not be done. So elective procedures generally are not being done. So people who need, for example, um, their varicose vein strip, they're not going to go and have that done until the thing settles down, until we have a strong sense of where the whole thing's going. Um, just in addition to that, um, certainly in the last 18 months, even before the COVID epidemic, and it reflects what's been going on in the economics of the country, there has been a lot fewer people going to see the doctor. All the big GP groups have reported it. And as a result of that, far fewer patients wind up going to the specialists. So it's just an interesting phenomenon. It started around about two years ago. Um, we just started noticing a little uptick in the way things um, were proceeding with patient numbers um, in December, January, February this year, which is really unexpected. Um, so this, this COVID pandemic has actually obviously flattened the figures dramatically. But I can tell you the last couple of years have not been plain sailing when it's come to trading in the healthcare sector. Mm, no, definitely. I read with the Medicare, they released, or their reports that they released last year, they were seeing a decrease in patient days um, across their, their different sectors. Would you say that there's yeah. any particular field of healthcare that you see bouncing back strongly post-COVID? Um, an example would be the mental health services such as Medicare's subsidiary uh, Keso clinics with everyone being locked locked at home and having to actually face their demons? Yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting question. I, I think this has been a particularly challenging time for people from a psychosocial perspective. So I think there has been quite a lot of, um, there will be quite a lot of focus on the psychiatric wellness of, of people, how that translates into a business, which is essentially what you guys are interested in is another matter entirely. I don't yes. know that it's going to, more admissions to hospital um, to answer the original question that you were asking in terms of which will bounce back quickly. Um, the things that bounce back quickly are the things that run the hospitals generally. So I would say things like um, gastroenterology, urology, I think they'll all bounce back really fast because there's a lot of people putting off their procedure just yet but they know they're going to have to get it done sometime in the near future. And I can tell you, um, I just heard, and I won't mention any names, but there's an operating specialist who's already fully booking beginning of April at one of the hospitals. So, I mean, without being too cynical about it, that's a reality. No, definitely, definitely. Dr. Blair, to your knowledge, have the costs of medicines and procedures changed materially? 
due to this crisis, um, especially with the effect on global supply chains. Okay, yeah, so one of the interesting things that's happened is that um, most of us were not particularly au fait with the requirements for PPE um, mm. in terms of medical procedures, etc. up until the, uh, we've taken it quite, you know, it hasn't been a big issue, but PPE is like the big issue at the moment worldwide. Availability of personnel protective equipment is actually probably the biggest single thing that's actually, and it's fascinating how the opportunists see this thing coming and they, they take advantage. And I mean, you know that um, even people who consider themselves to be morally quite lofty, like Dischem, for example, have been wrapped over the knuckles for their involvement in increasing prices of masks and things uh, beyond what they should have been increased. So I think there's been lots of opportunism. The price of medication itself, um, because of the way it's run in this country, medication itself um, is so-called one-exit pricing. So that's um, quite regulated, the cost or what you can charge for medication. And that's more or less stipulated um, when the medication comes through the, through the, um, the uh, uh, initial process of being uh, vetted by the, um, the uh, I can't remember the name of the organization, the one that does all the drug, um, that looks at all the drug trials, then decides whether this drug can come into the country. The MCC decides on the pricing based on that. Um, we've got a history of having horrific pricing in this country, particularly in the private sector. Um, and in fact, there was always some sort of uh, trade-off between the private sector and, and government sector in terms of prices that they would, the big multinationals would sell drugs to the, um, the government sector for a lot less and then nail the private sector. So they increase the price in the, in the private sector to try and make some money. So that's, so that's uh, so, but, but the whole thing is essentially regulated quite, quite heavily. So it's quite good for, for the South African patients. Um, it is. Dr. Blair, we, we have a, I don't know, quite a, quite a, we think quite an interesting question. Um, for you, with social distancing seemingly with us for the foreseeable future, do you see a role for remote healthcare, such as telehealth or remote diagnostics? And if so, will doctors be able to accurately diagnose their patients with these remote techniques? Okay, great question. Okay, so telemedicine, as we've been calling it for a long time, has been with us, I don't know, I would say maybe the last six or seven years. Radiology particularly is a really easy thing to use telemedicine for, where essentially I even do it in my practice now. I take a, a, an extra image of a patient. That image gets sent electronically straight to the radiologist who, say, who sits at a distant facility and they put the report on my computer, certainly within a day and often within an hour or two. So telemedicine is a very big thing already, no question about it, it's very real. Um, what has happened, which is quite interesting, when um, just at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember the first board meeting I went to with the N95 mask on about four weeks ago, um, we were actually approached by Discovery, who are very interested um, in creating a platform, and in fact have gone ahead and actually created this platform for, um, for doctors to actually sit remotely from the patients and actually make diagnoses remotely. 
Um, it was coming already because one of the pharmaceutical chains, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the name, but anyway, the, one of the pharmaceutical chains had already established a system where a nurse would sit with a patient in the pharmacy and a doctor would be remote and the doctor would, the nurse would be the conduit between the patient and the and the doctor and doctors were making diagnoses like this i mean quite popular with your for example your retired gp who's going to live down the coast but he still needs a bit of income mm. so then he can actually he can diagnose remotely it's quite fraught I think there are huge pitfalls and huge concerns. There's nothing like putting your hands on the patient. And clearly that's not going to happen when the patient, you know, is being seen remotely. So I think there's some big issues with telemedicine. Um, it, it was originally, initially when they, when they were talking about it, there was a lot of concern around, and I think it was actually rejected uh, forthwith initially. And then, and then slowly people started to realize that there actually might be some value in doing this. And it's obviously a far less expensive way of the patient being seen and a far safer way of your patient being seen, particularly your COVID patient. I'll give you an example of your, of your COVID patient. Your COVID patient is going to wind up getting, if he gets really sick, he's going to get a right lower lobe pneumonia. Now, you can't diagnose a right lower lobe pneumonia just by asking the patient a few questions. You've got to physically examine that patient. So, you know, medicine is an art that uses, that uses science. Yes. So we practice an ancient art that uses a whole lot of science to help us make diagnoses. But the basis of what we do is still using our five senses to actually plug into the patient's problem and try and work out what their problem is in an intellectual way. And you're limiting the access of the senses if you... Can only really mm. see and hear if you if you're doing tele yeah. tele health. That's, that's really the excellent point you raise. MJ, you've got a question for Dr. Blair. Yeah, um, I think it's a great question to close with. So, as this lockdown is incrementally lifted, what do you think is the single most important thing that we should all be doing to slow down the spread of the virus? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, as you know, this is a droplet spread virus. Mm. The exposure to potentially infected individuals is the issue. The biggest problem we have is going to be your asymptomatic infected individual who's not shedding a ton of virus, but he is actually in the community unprotected shedding virus. So mm. how do we stop that guy shedding virus? We stop him shedding virus by having sure he's, making sure he's got a mask on his face. And if he starts getting symptomatic, that he seeks health care quickly. Mm. I also think um, the people who are most exposed are, in fact, doctors, nurses, health care providers. So protecting health care providers in a meaningful way, and this is where the whole PPE argument comes in. Yeah. Protecting health care providers in a meaningful way is going to be a big issue. We've seen what happened in um, Italy. Mm. Uh, by far, the sickest patients became the healthcare practitioners because their exposure was repeated and repeated and repeated. So they turned up with a very, very high viral load. And the higher the viral load, the more likely you to get sick. So that's actually, those are kind of the big things. There's PPE, uh, Social distancing, as you mentioned, it's going to be with us kind of long term. Um, 
mm-hmm. and and uh, and protecting people against droplets from potentially infected individuals, which currently we have to assume is everybody. So I think yeah. those are going to be the big initiatives going forward. I th- I'm really excited about the possibility of the vaccine. I think the vaccine could be a complete game changer. But as you know, we're still very early on. They only started trialing last week, actually, or maybe the week before. But the trials are very, very early, and they're going to have to get to a certain number of patients to actually assess whether things safe and or works. So I think those are the big things that loom on the horizon for us. Definitely. Cool. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Blair. I think those are all the questions we had lined up for today. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to speak to us. Thanks. No, it's a great pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity.